If you have a Bible with you, find Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We'll get there in a moment. Go ahead and put up that title slide for me, that very first one. Um, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey um, through the past number of weeks. We've been talking about and using this word um, stuck, and we're pretty creative around here and like to have some fun. Uh, and uh, past, you know, people often ask pastors, like, what do you do all week? I mean, you really only work one day a week, and they, they say that to us, and, and we're like, yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about turtles on screens and stuff like that, but I'm just kidding. But this morning is, is kind of the completion of this series of messages. It's week number, this is the 12th week in a row, actually, uh, where we've been using this word stuck. Uh, and uh, let me take you quickly through a progression of the slides we've used, because I think this is kind of funny. While we do a quick recap, we started with using this word stuck, and we've been talking about how so many people, they are really just stuck in their spiritual lives. Uh, complacent, apathetic, not moving, not growing, just right there. For whatever reason, uh, very common in America for us just to kind of go through the motions and not really be living this life with Jesus that is the way that it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be this vibrant, growing, beautiful, life-giving relationship uh, where we're walking and we're um, growing and reading and moving and all of this stuff and this beautiful thing is what this is supposed to look like. But so many people are just kind of stagnant in this. And that's what we, we started by talking about uh, all of those types of things. And, um, and we talked about uh, some things that were keeping us stuck. We talked about sexual sin and pornography, anxiety, depression, and we went through a, a list of really tough things, if you remember that. And then we switched about halfway through, and go ahead and put the next one up here, and the turtle flipped over, and we started saying, unstuck. We want to get unstuck. And so we started presenting some different things that you can do in your life um, to get unstuck. We talked about giving and use the word tithing and just the idea if we live our lives with our hands like this compared to like this, um, there's just something that happens when we kind of let go of some of the things that are most important to us in our lives uh, and, and allow God to kind of work in those areas. And we talked about that. You can, wa you can watch that thing. It's a pa I'm passionate about how I handle my money in a God-centered, God-focused way. It's just what this is uh, and, and I'm not afraid to talk about it because it's changed some things in my life. Then Thanksgiving week came and poof, we, the turtle put on a costume for a week and that was fun. We talked about gratitude and then we get to the month of December, go to the next one for us and we, I, I don't know what's happening around here uh, and, uh, and that brings us to today and let me, we could not get more corny than we are right now. Go ahead and put this up here. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. This is, when we, oh man, when this, we, when this was made this week, I, I sent a message out to our entire staff and I just said, is this too far? Have we gone too far? <laughs> and they're like, yes. And we're like, okay, all right, let's do it. Okay, uh, but, but really my, uh, uh, man, my, my teenagers, there's some of them are in here, they are never more embarrassed than when dad is on stage trying to be funny. And some of you will never understand that, but that's okay. But who said church has to be boring? And, and, and of course, this stuff is just kind of the garnish on the plate. The real meat is from the Bible in all of this. And that's, we want to make sure that you understand that. We're not just trying to be gimmicky uh, in, in some of those things, but we do like to have some fun around here. Today, 
we're going to take a look at the story of the wise men. And there's something powerful in this story that I want you to see, and I'm excited for where this is going today because I truly believe that, that what we're gonna talk about this morning, like last week and the week before, um, is, is something that as we begin to overflow some of these things out of our lives, uh, that man, it just sets things up for God to move and God to change things and for us to truly be living this moving, growing Christian life, which is what I think most of us really do want, right? And so that's enough for, uh, of an introduction. Stand with me all over this place. Let's read. Um, man, we're gonna read 12 verses together. It's gonna feel like an eternity, but I promise you'll get to sit down in just a moment. Uh, but what's a good church service without standing up and sitting down for a little while anyway, right? And so we're ready for that. But here we go, Matthew chapter two, starting in verse number one. Uh, the story of the wise men out of the Bible. Here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. This was uh, predicted and prophesied years before that the Messiah would come. And so he says, where was that again? Remind me. Uh, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star, uh, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Wow, let's pray. God, we just... We just pause for a moment to, to truly acknowledge you as Lord, as King, um, as what this is about. And God, we just pray that, that even as we talk about the birth of Jesus and these wise men, that, that God, we would truly just experience you, that your very word would show us things and move and help and change things for us, God, as we just sit here with open arms and open hearts uh, to, to what you have to say. And so, God, we give this to you, and we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. Well, here we go. Uh, all right, I don't know if you saw this in the news yesterday, but uh, yesterday morning at about 10 a.m., 6 uh, members launched into space from a Texas launch facility. Did anybody see this? Okay, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I don't know what, this is fantastic, okay? Entire mission, though, listen to this, lasted 10 minutes and 13 seconds. 10 minutes and 13 seconds. That was the plan, by the way. 
the spaceship reached an altitude of about 65 miles where the crew experienced four minutes of zero gravity. Yeah, that's so cool. But what made this particular launch a little more interesting is that this was not NASA. This was not U.S. government. This was not any government or anything like this. This was a privately owned space rocket ship. Like this billionaire guy, I think he actually was part of like a CEO type of thing of Amazon or something like that is what I read, but I could be wrong on that. Privately owned rocket ship, and the six crew members were paying customers. Yeah, you think the airlines are expensive, all right? Uh, actually, four of the six were paying customers. Two in, were invited to go along. Go ahead and put, put that picture of the crew up here for me. Uh, you may recognize the second guy from the right if you're a football fan. That's, his name is Michael Strahan, um, and he actually took over for Regis and Regis's show of Regis and Kathy Lee, and so that's who that is. Um, the rest of these, though, are we have millionaires and billionaires on the screen who paid, and we, they, would not, they did not release the amount that it costs for these people to go on this 10-minute ride, but you can, I guarantee you that it was expensive. Are you with me? Yeah. Um, crazy expensive. Uh, but, I mean, people paid big money, big money uh, to spend 10 minutes in space, 10 minutes and 13 seconds. Why? Well, because they can, first of all, and it's a unique thing that almost nobody gets to experience. But also, I, I think there's just something about space and stars and the moon and just Something about our world that when you look up and when you see that and when you experience something like this, there's just this awe and wonder that, wow, there is so much more than us right here. Would you agree with me? And there's something about that. We're going to kind of come back to that in a minute. But today, like a few moments ago, we read the Christmas story in the Bible, the story uh, specifically about the wise men. There are two places in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus' birth, Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter one and two. Uh, and what's interesting is each spot, written, one by, written by Matthew and one written by Luke, um, each of those accounts tell uh, different pieces to the story that we've pieced together. Uh, Matthew doesn't include anything about the shepherds in his account. And likewise, Luke doesn't include anything about the wise men in his account. And so it's interesting, we have overlapping details, but two different stories, and that's how we really piece together the Christmas story. Everything that we know about the wise men uh, comes from the 12 verses that we read together. There's no other details, and there's nothing else. Um, Like, who are these people? We don't have a whole lot of information about any of this. In fact, we have those 12 verses. We really don't even know how many of them there were. Some of you are like, what are you talking about, Willis? There's three wise men. There's a song about it and all that stuff, okay? But we don't know. All that we really know from the story is that there were three gifts that were given. Three gifts, and so we just assume, maybe there were three of them, couldn't they each brought a gift? There could have been one who had, no, it says wise men. There could have been two, all right? Uh, There could have been 24 wise men in a caravan, and they just brought three gifts. We really don't No. Uh, Oh, something else. And I'm just trying to kind of blow your mind a little bit and ruin some of the Christmas story that you know and love. That's my goal, really. But the wise men were not at the stable with Jesus on the night he was born. They were not, that was, they were not there. So your nativity set at home, (laughs) the little figurines, Mary and Joseph, wise men, it is absolutely inaccurate. 
and you really need to go home later today, and you need to take the wise men and put them on the opposite side of your house to be more, because they are not there. Uh, how, how do I know that? I mean, the whole thing starts out, the first verse we read was after Jesus was born, okay, then they start their journey. Uh, and, and they visit him at the house, is what it actually says. And so the idea that they were there standing next, that, that's just not how that works, okay? Um, so let's talk about what we do know from these 12 verses. Let's start with who they were, uh, who were the wise men. Well, uh, Matthew's account of this story, originally written in the Greek language, uh, we talk a lot about that and around here, if it's your first time, it's been translated into English for us. Uh, that's why we have even different words that we use for the wise men. In the, what we read today, it said magi. Uh, sometimes some of your stuff will write kings, and we have songs, we three kings, wise men, magi. Why does it use different names? Uh, the Greek word that is used is the word magos, magos, and it's really just what, like it's explained this way, any person well-respected in the pagan world for their knowledge in the occult arts, Okay, especially astrology, medicine, and dream interpretation. Uh, the word magos, the root of our English word magician, but not like pull a bunny from a hat kind of magician. That's not what this is. It's more like someone who specializes in the reading of the signs. Think horoscope, think stuff like that here. Uh, and let me take this a bit farther. It, it's helpful to understand who it is that we have in this story. In the ancient world, they were very into extremely mystical type of things. And they had all sorts of strange things that they would say and they would look at and all come to all sorts of conclusions. Uh, and they, would, they believed that the gods and many gods, this is not Judaism, this is Greek, Roman, okay, uh, pagan stuff. They had, there were gods everywhere and they believed that the gods were constantly trying to communicate to them through all sorts of different things. One of the main ways they believed that God would communicate was through the sky. Uh, they would look up at night and they would see these brilliant, incredible lights. And you know, we know them as stars and planets and different things like that. They had no idea what they were. And they'd think the gods are looking down at us. And the stars would move. And some of that for them was just, they didn't have an understanding of the spinning of the earth and all those types of things that we understand, but the stars would be in different spots in different ways and they would go, wow, the gods are trying to say something to us. So people began to study the sky in, in an attempt to understand and hear what the gods were saying to them. And these people, specifically called magi, uh, would, would often be paid a whole bunch of money by kings and rulers to tell them what the gods would be saying. Of course, all of that was... Bologna, okay? Uh, the gods they thought were in the skies were non-existent. There is only one true God, you know that. But, but, but this, is, this is who we have in our story. This is who these men, these are pagan, mystical kind of religious weirdos. And they're in the story because of a star. In fact, some one of the places that I read, uh, it actually said, it, it is thought that Luke, when he wrote his account of this Christmas story, purposefully left out the story of the wise men because he did not like the idea of these pagan, uh, mystical, non-Jewish people being part of that story. Uh, so we don't have even in 
that, okay? But a supernatural star, like, that is why they are there. The Bible makes that clear. And these magi, these wise men, arrive in Jerusalem saying, where is this newborn king that is born king of the Jews? Somewhere along the lines, they had been told or filled in some of this, or maybe they had a dream, because that comes in later as well. But we saw the star, and we have come to worship him. Uh, Jerusalem, six miles away from Bethlehem, is where they were. So they had traveled a long distance, and they were really close uh, they're told that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and there's a whole bunch more to this story with King Herod and wanting to kill everybody, and okay, uh, that we're kind of moving through fast. But they set out on the final miles of their journey, Bethlehem, six miles from Jerusalem, and they followed this star to the place where Jesus was, which was not the stable. And then they enter into the house where Jesus and Mary and Joseph are living at that point. And then, uh, the second part of verse number 11 says, then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are extravagant gifts. The, these, these are rich people gifts, not poor people gifts, not Mary and Joseph gifts, rich people gifts. Gold would have been crazy valuable. Think of like a pile of cash is what that is. Uh, currency, it, it would have been, it, like it's possible that the gold that they received uh, I was reading some different places. They're like, it's, it's possible that that would have been worth more than Joseph made an entire year as a carpenter, working with his hands. Uh, frankincense and myrrh both, would have, both have medicinal qualities and different things with that. There's all sorts of imagery here as well that we could talk about, but that's for a different time. Valuable stuff is what this is. Uh, what purpose would these gifts serve Mary and Joseph in their life and in this? Okay, well, I can give you one theory uh, that, that seemed to come up. Think about this with me. Shortly after Jesus is born, uh, an angel appears to Joseph telling them to get out of Bethlehem and to run away. Uh, and they head a few hundred miles to uh, s- south to Egypt from where they are, where they're refugees. Jesus was a refugee for about two years before they return actually to that area. Joseph was a tradesman, a carpenter. They were a poor, humble family from a poor, humble place. I would suggest, and other people suggest, that maybe the gifts actually funded Mary and Joseph's ability to flee, okay? He, Joseph has to find new work. He's got to do all this, transition all of this. They're getting up and just going uh, and all of that. Maybe these wise men actually played a part in Jesus' safety as a baby because we know that just after this, King Herod, who is the most unstable, loco guy you could ever imagine, who murdered two of his sons and his wife at one point uh, in the history of his life, uh, King Herod sets out to kill this newborn king, murdering all of the babies two years and under in the entire region. That's part of our story and the story of Christmas as well. Jesus and Mary and Joseph have bailed now and are saved from that. The wise men, okay, they worship Jesus. They give their gifts. We don't know how long they stay, but that's kind of the piece of their story. But at some point, they go back a different way because God shows up to these pagan, crazy spiritual people in a dream saying, don't go back there. And so they go a different route and they're on their way. But the wise men, here's just where I want us to get today. They saw the star and they set out and they came to worship Jesus. They saw the star, they set out, and they came to worship. And for just a few moments, I wanna talk, I wanna talk about this word worship. And we get this from verse number two, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
We've come to worship him. That is their end goal. Two weeks ago, we talked about gratitude, Thanksgiving weekend. Last week, we talked about humility. And this morning, it's the word worship. Gratitude, humility, worship. Gratitude, humility, worship. It's like the trifecta of amazingness when it comes to really understanding and experiencing Christmas. Gratitude, humility, and, and worship. Uh, but I found this word worship to actually be quite difficult to define. Uh, the word comes up all over the Bible, and the Bible never really defines it. We have secular definitions of worship that really go outside of that. Um, in fact, let me, like a secular de- definition, love and adoration expressed or experienced towards someone or something. That's, that's like Webster's for worship. Uh, love and adoration expressed, well, you know, you take that definition and we're all worshiping our children and we're, you know what I mean? Uh, and we're worshiping in that way because it's just love and adoration that is basically expressed or felt towards someone or something. Uh, the worship of God that we're reading about in the Bible is so much more than that and so much more significant than that. But I would say it is absolutely possible for us as people to have an unhealthy worship of things around us. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but just understand that's very, very real and very, very true. So when we are looking at a God-centered, God-focused worship, what does that mean and what does that look like? Let me start by telling you a couple things that it is not. Are you ready for that? Like if, if you were taking notes, write NOT in all capital letters, and then here we go, all right? Number one is this. First, worship is not music. Worship is not music. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Music can be worship. In fact, in the Bible, it tells us, sing to God and worship. Play music to God and worship. Okay, Uh, All of those types of things. That is ways in which we can worship. But for us to define worship as singing is a massive mistake. Because worship is so much more, so much bigger than that. I mean, do you, th- do you really think this is what the wise men are thinking when they are traveling to see the star? They, or to see baby, they follow the star and they get there and they're like, okay, we're here. All right, should we start? All right, here we go. One, two. And I pour out my hand. Again and again. All right, we're done. Let's go. You know, is, is that why they came? I mean, come on. That's silly, isn't it? But we really, like, we, we messed this up. In our culture, specifically, some of you are like, I can't believe he did that. He looked like a fool. And my kids are like, oh no, please, not again. Okay? Um, but, but the reality is, like some of us, when you hear me say, we're going to talk about the word worship, your immediate response is, awesome, because the worship is my favorite part of our service. I love coming because I love the worship. When the band plays and the singers sing and we have the words on the screen, I love worship time. Just understand, it is is very shallow for us to define the word worship as singing or music, though that is a piece to it in the Bible even. Worship is bigger than that. Like, let me ask you a question, and these these are tough questions here. Is your ability to worship God when you were here on a Sunday morning at all tied to what song we are singing. Do you find yourself worshiping better to your favorite songs 
compared to the ones that are not your favorite? And for most of us, I think we would say, yeah, probably, okay? Uh, like, is it tied to who is singing the song? Who is leading the song? Or how well the music is being played? Or how well the sound is being mixed? Or whatever, like, for most evangelical Christians in America, our worship of God is tied to music even in an unhealthy way at times. It really is. Also, understand this, worship is not just like an emotion. And uh, this is probably tied to the music thought as well, but it's the idea that like we sing or whatever and I feel that. I, or, or often I'll have people say it to me, they'll say things like this and if you've said this to me, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't mean this to be offensive or whatever. You can email Corey afterwards if this hurts your feelings, okay? But like, I'll have people say things to me that's like, wow, that worship time, talking about the singing time in the church, that music time was so powerful today, I even had goosebumps. They'll say things like that to me, like, and I, you know, some people will even say, I have Holy Spirit goosebumps. But don't, don't misunderstand me here, but listen, like, you can go to an Adele concert and get that same feeling. You can. Like, moving, being moved by music in an emotional way and the physical response that you feel is not worship. That's not what that is. And so for some of us, your favorite time in the service is the worship time, but you are emotionally invested in the music and all of this to the point where you, have, you are not even doing this right at all. And you feel it and think, wow, I love that time in the service. Okay, but just, so just understand, don't be careful. Worship is not music, but music can, is absolutely worship in different ways. And it's not just an emotion. It's important that we expand our understanding of the definition of worship, especially in our culture, where we have worship even as a genre of music now, don't we? Like I have my, my 80s rock playlist and my Christmas playlist and I got my worship playlist. Okay, we use that word all over the place here in the church and we, it's so easy for us to mess this up. And, and it's important that we understand this. It's important that we define this because, listen to this, learning to live a life of worship, a life that is God-centered and authentic and has purposeful moments of focused worship of our God, like this stuff will change your life if you, if you get there and can learn to live that way. And so here we go. Let's kind of bring this all together. Last night, last night I was standing I was standing outside, and it was, be- it was a beautiful night last night. Uh, I was, in fact, this is, I shouldn't even say this, this is really dumb, but I was outside in shorts, okay? <laughs> and the reason was I had shorts on while I was watching uh, a basketball game or something, and, and, uh, and I took my dogs out quick, and I'm out there, and I, so I had a winter jacket and shorts on, is what I had, and I'm standing out in the back. Yeah, and it was this clear, this clear sky. There was barely any wind at all. And it was just brilliant how bright the stars were. I live a little bit out in the country. And it was just this amazing, immense moment. And I looked up and, and I was wrestling a little bit with this sermon and I was kind of fighting some different things in my mind. And I just went outside to kind of take a break. And I look up and I was just all of a sudden overwhelmed by the magnitude of what I was seeing. 
And maybe you've had that experience before. You get up early in the morning and you see this, or you go somewhere and you see a mountain or whatever else, and you're just like... And in that moment, I, I never felt as small as I did last night. And, and I began to look up, and I began to think about a God that put every single one of those stars into place. Stars that are millions and millions of miles away and uh, the size of, you know, a million times the size of our sun and unreal, unheard of things that we can't even comprehend. And I'm standing there and I'm in awe of this right here and what God has done and how big he is. And I'm just standing there amazed in this moment. And then I begin to think about the fact that that God, that very God knows me, created me, knows how many hairs are on my head, the Bible said. And for some of you, that's easier for God than others, okay? All right, but just understand, knows, knows everything about me, knows my weaknesses and my shortcomings and the places that I've been and the failures that I have done and all of the things, the, the immoral, horrible things that have gone through my mind through the years. No, he knows all of that about me and yet still this God chooses to love me, chooses to, to die for me so that I could spend eternity with him. And I stood there in awe in that moment. As I'm studying this, I'm looking, I stood there in awe. And see, see, listen to this. Worship is when gratitude and humility kind of collide. And you might not find that in a definition of a dictionary or anything, but like this is, hear me out on this. This has just been my experience. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done. That's why to say this is just about singing is ridiculous. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done, which is really when gratitude and humility like collide. So let's take these two parts one at a time. First, our response to who God is. Our worship of God that is authentic and real and, and deep uh, begins with an understanding of who he is. So many of us, we, we, you know, so many people think of God as just like some out there whatever. When we begin to understand the magnitude of this God that we serve, and we begin to, to think about and dwell on the idea of what he has done and how big he must be, and we, and we begin to compare that to who we are and how small we actually are and how frail and fragile we are, humility is really the only response. We are humbled at the fact that he is massive and I am small. He is incredible and I am not. He is good in every possible way and I am bad and overflowing with all sorts of ugliness in who I actually am. And we respond in humility in that way. It's also, though, the second part of this. Uh, it, it, let me say one other thing about that. I just saw this in my notes. I like this, okay? Um, humility is central to authentic worship. In fact, the word worship in the Bible uh, is actually translated a number of different ways. This word worship, it's, uh, a, you know, we have a Greek language that was written in. We translated it in English. Um, the, the straight translation of the Greek word is simply 
uh, to bend a knee, is what that means, to bend a knee. And about 50-50 in our Bible is this word translated into English as the word worship, and about 50% it's just translated as kneel. And uh, to give you an example, and I don't have this on the screen, but there's a story where Jesus, like in the life of Jesus, a, a man with leprosy approaches Jesus. And the story says that this man, this man approaches Jesus and he gets down on his knees before Jesus. That word right there is the same exact Greek word that we have in our story of the wise men saying we have come to worship him. Same thing, this idea on a bended knees, I bow before, I bend in that way. We worship God for who he is. We also worship God for what he has done. Our hearts overflow with gratitude for the fact that this amazing God in his greatness died for us. Died for us so that we could have life and we could be forgiven. Gratitude, humility, worship. I'm telling you, it's the formula for you to experience God this Christmas like you've never experienced him before. Overflowing with gratitude for what he has done. Moving away from pride and understanding who he is. Being humbled by that and responding in authentic, God-centered, God-focused Worship, it's more than a song and it's more than singing. It is an overflow of our hearts when gratitude and humility begin to collide in our lives. Come on. Music team, will you please come? God, we worship you today. God, for who you are, for what you've done, we give you glory and honor and power. We before you, God, in our hearts, in our lives, as, as King and as Lord. God, there are ways in which we mess this up, but God, in this moment right here, we come with hearts that are pure in our desire to worship you. God, we are broken people who fail, who don't do things the way that we should. But God, your grace and your love and your mercy covers us, moves in us and through us in ways that we could never even imagine and understand. And so, Jesus, we just, we just worship you today. We give you our worship and our adoration as we are filled with gratitude and we are humbled God by your greatness and your great love for us and so Lord we just we just corporately take a moment God to express our worship to you God and what you have done and for who you are Lord we are grateful for what you have done we are moved by you and your greatness and God I even just pray that I pray that as we approach this holiday where we are celebrating your birth and celebrating this moment of of the greatness of our God and the crazy humility that went with it and what this means for us and for humanity that, that we have this ability and and the door is wide open for us to accept and, 
and move into this beautiful relationship with you. Even though we are sinners and even though we have messed this up, God, we are filled with this love and this gratitude for who you are. And God, let us never forget this. I pray that worship would become bigger than singing songs for us, God, and bigger than going to church and bigger. God, let let this be an overflow of our lives everywhere we go and everything that we do. God, let us be so grateful and so humble to, to a God who has done so much and a God that is so much. We worship you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. With every every head bowed for just a moment, we're, we're getting there, I promise. But for some of us in this place, like you have never, you have never responded to the message of Jesus, to him being born and him dying on the cross for you. God has made a way. You are broken and you are sinful, just like I am. You cannot do it on your own. And this entire thing starts with you coming to this realization that you are a sinner and then you are not okay. And it's why you need God. You need Jesus. You need what he has done on that cross for you. And if you will accept this and say yes to God, and you will repent of the junk in your life and say, God, change me and transform me. I give this to you. Then the scripture just says, like, you can be saved. It's this beautiful thing. That's the words of the Bible. And maybe you're here today and you would just simply say, I have never made that decision. I have never done that. And I want to do that today. If that's you, just show me your hand right now. Like, people aren't looking around. This is, this is us right here with, with an important, massive decision that you need to make. If you're, if you're online right now, you can do this to respond to this. There's a button you can click. We want you to do that. Respond to this. Anyone in this place that would say, yes, that's me. All right, church, we're just going to pray, pray a prayer together here. Let's everyone pray this. Just pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins change my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. We just celebrate that moment as people make this a hard decision between them and God.